Thank you so much for joining me tonight on Mayonaka Hour, a City Pop podcast. My name is Van Pogam, the host of the podcast. And today with me, I have the privilege to speak with Alan Ikasaka of Kyokyoku Plus, all the way from Toronto. Alan, you want to say hi? Hi there. Uh, this is Alan Ikasaka from Jay Canuck, uh, or aka Jay Canuck. Glad to be here with uh, Van Pogam. Yeah, thank you. It's it's, it's going to be such a fun talk, and I've been uh, I've been wanting to speak with you for a while. We did a little, uh, it was kind of like a little podcast with the Japanese Culture Center of Chicago a while back. On their um, their their they have a little show called uh, Tokyo House Party. Uh, so fun thing about that is we might be doing that in person soon. So if you're ever in the city in Chicago, you know, feel free to let us know so we can invite you over to the to the Culture Center. I know they'd love to have you. Oh, I had nothing but good much. things to say about you. Yeah, your last uh, your last show with them was was great. Our, our little talk. So today, um, you know, the topic is Mickey Matsubara, which uh, a lot of people are now aware of who she is thanks to TikTok, and you know, her music is really finding a second life today, and uh, she totally deserves it. Uh, she's such an amazing singer. You know, a great discography that we're going to discuss later mm -hmm. on in the later on in the program. And you've written about Mickey multiple times. I, I've read it on your blog, right? Yes, that's correct. I've I've, I've done a lot of a uh, number of articles about her. I guess, and the first one is not surprisingly uh, "Stay with Me." My own knock on the door. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yes. Unfortunately, she left us uh, very early, uh, regrettably. But I'm hoping, yeah, I'm definitely hoping that, uh, yeah, her songs are reaching a lot of people around the world thanks to uh, thanks to TikTok last year. Yeah, that TikTok. Uh, uh, did you see the video of people playing it for their their moms? And <laughs> moms, stuff like yeah. That? Yes, I have. Uh, actually, I've seen it on YouTube, and it's like, oh wow! <laughs> it's like I wasn't aware that so many uh, so many middle aged women were were aware of uh, Miki Matsubara and uh, and uh, my own knock on the door. But you know, it's great, obviously, to uh, to to hear to hear this. And it's like, uh, yeah, I was always kind of wondering. It's like, what uh, I mean. The whole thing about uh, you know a Japanese pop song exploding all over uh, all over the world like this—it's like the plastic love uh, phenomenon all all over again from 2018. Yeah, that the plastic love uh, algorithm uh, kind of explosion. Uh, I, I think that you know that was a precursor to the "Stay with Me" success, and um, I mm -hmm. believe uh, wh while the algorithm was favorable to Mickey Matsubara. Uh, I right. think what set off the TikTok chain was um, there's a, a singer on YouTube who's quite popular. She has a couple million followers, and she did a cover of "Stay with Me," mm -hmm. and that made it made it onto TikTok, and and you know that just started the chain reaction of people copying it and uh, evolving it from there, and it just kind of catapulted, and you know now Mickey Matsubara is like she's not a household name yet, but I mean she's getting there. You know I, th I think people are gonna continue to. Uh, share her music. Yeah, I mean, um, the singer you're referring to, I think her name is, if I've got her pronunciation correct, uh, I think it's Rainich, I think it was, uh, mm -hmm. from Indonesia. And right. uh, she sang this, I guess, around the, the end of the year, maybe around Christmas, and then suddenly uh, it just got, it just, you know, reached other parts of uh, the world, including the United States. And after that, it was like uh, basically people were just getting, really getting into, uh, you know, stay with me. Yeah, with good reason too. It's such a it's such a perfect song. It's easy to listen to. It's mm -hmm. it's it's it has that very classic, very disco-y 
uh, pop funk kind of vibe to it. It feels like, um, you know, that Michael Jackson uh, record off the wall. It feels like something、mm-hmm. off of that. Uh, so, you mean like, like Rock With You, for example? Yeah, like,、um, uh, I think it's、uh, Nine to Five. I forgot what that song is.、Uh, I think it's the title track, Off the Wall.、Uh, but it has that kind of easy funk vibe to it. It's just a great、mm. song. And, you know, Mickey's voice is so, so beautiful. I think it just captures people right away. And you just want to know more about her. You want to know, you know who she is, what it's all about, you know, what her music is.、Uh, Albums and all that stuff.、Um, and then when you you know find more about the situation, what happened to her, it adds an element of kind of sadness to the entire thing. Yeah, there's a certain amount of poignancy、um, you know given to her, obviously, since she、uh, left this mortal coil at such an early age, at the age of 44, back in 2004. But、uh, yeah, I mean, like,、uh, I, when I was,、uh, when you ask, invited me to, your,、uh, to this、uh, broadcast today, I was kind of thinking about. About her voice.、Uh, and I know that her mother was a、uh, jazz singer back, I think, in the late 50s and, and 60s.、Uh, she was performing with a comical band called、uh, Crazy Cats. And I think, you know,、uh, Mickey herself was exposed to jazz at a very early age when she started doing piano at the age of three.、Uh, so it's always been there. And I think, in terms of her vocal quality, I mean, The person that I reminded most when it comes to Mickey is there's a jazz singer from the UK called Cleo Lane. And if you listen to Cleo Lane on YouTube, I think there is a certain similarity between her and Mickey Matsubara,、uh, which was a bit uncanny.、Um, and the vocal range is not all that different between the two as well. I mean, Cleo Lane is lower. She is actually a,、um, uh, a contralto, which I think is the lowest vocal range for a, for a female singing voice.、Uh, On the other hand,、uh, Mickey's is just a, maybe one level above. I think、uh, she's, a, she's been designated as a mezzo soprano. So I think it just the, that the vocal range and also just the way she delivers,、uh, she delivers her, her songs and stuff is quite similar to what Cleo Lane has been doing. Yeah, I've never heard of Cleo Lane, but I'm definitely going to look into that.、Uh, and I、yep. know you,、mm-hmm. you've reviewed、oh, probably hundreds of songs. Before Mickey Matsubara, her. Vocal range, her voice. Was there anyone in Japan that had similarities to her before she kind of came on the scene? To be honest with you, I have never heard of anyone before, or for that matter, since、uh, with, this, with a, you know, that sort of a, of a voice, that kind of really smoky, jazzy voice or so.、Uh, although I know that she's, you know, from the, out, from the various albums, she's done other, she's, you know, done other stuff like AOR and.、Uh, And city pop and all that kind of stuff. But no, she has, I, in my opinion, she does have a very distinct voice. Yeah, and that's probably, that, that contributes a lot to how you know, iconic she's being perceived as now, as、uh, a singer from Japan that、uh, you know, a lot of people weren't aware of until now. And、uh, a lot of people are now realizing that you know, Japanese singers, they, they have a range to them.、Uh, I think before. Uh, people tended to put Japanese music in a box. You know, it was either uh, anime uh, outros or intros or、uh, J c o r e or、um, uh, Visual K, things like that. But now、mm-hmm. it's really thanks to Mickey's voice and her talent and other、uh, Japanese singers from that era who now we're discovering thanks to your blog and to the internet.、Um, People are seeing that you know, there's more to Japanese music.、Uh, it has a depth to it, there's range,、uh, there's all sorts of inspirations, and it, you know, it should be taken more seriously. And we should 
definitely, uh, you know, put it in its rightful place in music history. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's the perfect time for Mickey to, well, I mean, she should have gotten recognition during her lifetime, but uh, I'm glad that it's happening now at this point in history where we have the ability to share music worldwide and where we could all, you know, kind of celebrate it together. Mm -hmm. Agree, totally agree with that. I mean, uh, your point, the point you just made right now kind of reminds me when I first started listening to Japanese popular music in earnest back in the early 80s when I was in high school. Uh, and it was the fact that um, at, when I first got into it, I was just listening to basically there was the idol music with provided by Seiko Matsuda and Naoko Kawai. And then there was uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra with all the techno pop. And then with then, of course, there was my or with my parents' music, which is, you know, Enka or Mood Kayo. Hmm. And through people like uh, Miki Matsubara, Maria Takeuchi, and um, I would say also uh, Akira Terao and Yubi, Yumi Matsutoya, I found that there is this other, this urban contemporary uh, music that's also really, really groovy to listen to as well. And so I think it is because of people like Miki and... Uh, a lot of her, a lot of her uh, contemporaries that I've been be able to find out about, you know, really good pop music, very solid pop music from that era. Yeah, um, your your blog, I mean, it's such an inspiration. Before I even started in the city pop, you know, I would dig around your blog and and uh, mm -hmm. and read your articles, and a lot of that inspired me to kind of take up what I do. Uh, and I know a lot of people feel the same. You have a lot of collaborators on your blog that are just amazing. Yeah. Some of the articles on there are just wonderful. Um, I can't. I can't thank you enough for the work you've done. Oh, um, thank you. Of course. Uh, so yeah, Mickey. Uh, she's from a part of. Uh, she's from. I believe uh, she's from part of Japan in, in the south. Of, I'm not sure. Yes, she's actually from Osaka. She's actually from Osaka. So it's basically, you know, a lot of my relatives are from Osaka as well. So I guess she. I would. She would be a Kansai, You know, a Kansai person, Western Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you think her being from Osaka kind of influenced how she kind of projects, you know, her kind of like attitude and her personality is a little bit more warm? Uh, you know, I, you know, I think uh, I think you kind of hit upon the adjective there, warm, uh, because I think the impression of people from Osaka or from the Kansai region, the western region of Japan, is that uh, they're a little bit warmer, uh, a little bit more. Um, a little bit more capable of being a, of letting their hair down and just you know saying what they think type of thing and I mm -hmm. and I think you know being a pop singer I think you have to be you have to be willing to uh, you know just kind of you know get your emotions out there and I think Osakans are are very much uh, kind of like seen as being able to do that a little bit more than uh, people from Tokyo from the eastern part of the country. Yeah, I've heard that uh, expression before about how you know people from Osaka are just a little bit more. Yeah, they're, they're able to express um, the way they feel a little bit more. Maybe that contributed a lot to them. Mm -hmm. I think I, 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 would, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I could imagine, uh, uh, you know, what her family, you know, what her family life may have been like. Uh, probably a lot of a uh, lot of lot of communication all around, a lot of yelling, a lot of fighting, that type of thing or so. It wouldn't surprise me. Sorry, I had to, I had to mute my mic. I had to grab some water. Um, so picking up uh, on the Osaka topic, uh, so, yeah, going over her playlists and, uh, well, I mean, her albums, her discography, the themes, a lot of it uh, has to do with, you know, romance and things like that. And I'm not too clear on 
uh, if, if that is something that was not uh, as kind of uh, expressed in music uh, around that time or if it was this new kind of romanticism that was acceptable because of the Western influence? I, I think romance in, in Japanese pop music has, al has always been there, perhaps maybe not as um, prominent, let's say, in, you know, in genres such as city pop or new music from the 1970s, for example. But uh, I, I think it's been more, I think it's been probably been more of a, uh, maybe a little bit more of an opening that the door has been opening a little bit more, a little bit more when it comes to these Western melodies or so. Uh, I think with something like uh, the traditional genre such as Enka or Mood Kayo, I mean, there has, you know, there was always that sort of love uh, romance in there, but maybe it was a little bit more subtle, perhaps. Um, so I think love love has, you know, been expressed through music, you know, for, for decades. I think maybe with uh, something like uh, My Own Knock on the Door or other city pop songs, I think maybe it's maybe been expressed a little bit more uh, openly perhaps, uh, mm -hmm. maybe slightly so. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the thing with City Pop that I always found interesting was um, I, I read that before City Pop, the way that um, artists would describe love and romance wouldn't be, uh, I'm not sure if Anka, uh, it was more like poetic and less straightforward. Yeah. And then with um, City Pop and things like that, they kind of they get to the point in a way. Yeah, I would say I would say so. I think uh, with with Enk, with Enka, there is a, you know it's a bit more of a a bit more of a uh, an art I guess an art, art a bit more of an art much more arch romantic uh, per se with that. Uh, Mood Kayo, which I think may have been you know in my opinion anyways may have been a bit of a predecessor uh, to City Pop because. Uh, Mood Kayo with a lot of those uh, singing groups from the 1950s and 1960s, uh, you know, the image of them is also in the city within, let's say, the bar culture uh, of Tokyo or Osaka, for example. And um, I think in, in that case, you had a lot of uh, you had a lot of Latin rhythms, Hawaiian rhythms, for example, in there. And so I think maybe there was a little slight again, a, slightly a little bit more freedom about, you know, expressing about, you know, Having a having a tryst, for example, you know, having a love affair, you know, while you're dancing with this uh, with this uh, person who may not be your wife or husband, for example, in a in a nightclub or something like that, yeah. Oh, like a like taboo kind of um, taboo kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, I would yeah. say tab. Yeah, slightly taboo. A slightly, you know, kind of a, a bit of an illicit sort of thing. Uh, basically, an affair. I would say, when mm -hmm. it comes to Mood Kayo. There was that always that kind of an impression. Although, I, you know, it wasn't always a thing about, it wasn't always about having affairs and stuff in that particular genre. Uh, but uh, there was also a lot of stress upon, oh, or singing a song about, for example, or being a Sapporo, for example, or an Osaka. Mm -hmm. A lot of these Mood Kayo songs had uh, had titles which which included the, the uh, the city of a certain region or so like Tokyo, Yokohama or Osaka back ah. in those days. Mm. I see. Um, so when she, I, I was reading a lot about her history. I, I wrote an article a while back about her. So she was, I think, 17 when she moved to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And That's uh, right. she was performing in bars, I think, in the Roppongi area. And she was discovered at that age. Um, so I wasn't aware that, uh, you know, young 
people that young uh, in Tokyo were just kind of getting out and, and singing at bars and stuff like that. I, you know, I, I'm not that uh, kind of well-versed in what was going on in the scene back then, but was that a typical thing for younger people to kind of just strike out on their own in like the, the local uh, music scene? I wouldn't say it was a typical thing, actually, Van, but, yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've read, uh, you know, articles on, uh, on, for example, on Japanese Wikipedia for certain singers who've been around. And, yeah, as, as, you, as you've uh, just mentioned, you know, they may have been um, discovered uh, singing in a certain bar or uh, nightclub in Ginza, for example. I think mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, there was that uh, group of Peanuts, the Peanuts. Uh, which was a, a sister duo who were ex- who became very very popular from the late 1950s throughout the 1960s, and I think they were discovered that way. Uh, but I think uh, I think that's still kind of like um, uh, a fairly you know not not all that common or so. Uh, so I mean I just you know you're telling me just now that uh, Mickey was discovered in a sort of in that sort of uh, environment was a little bit surprised a little bit surprising to hear as well. But I, I also think that again because of her mother's connections uh, as a uh, jazz singer, I think uh, maybe that kind of gave the uh, gave uh, Mickey a bit more of an opportunity to do that to be uh, to be uh, you know singing in nightclubs and bars in Tokyo or wherever. Yeah, um, Crazy Cats. There's not too much information on that band. Did you do you know anything about them? Well, Crazy Cats was uh, was a group was a uh, was basically a a band, uh, kind of like a jazz band or so. They didn't take themselves too seriously. A lot of those band members actually uh, became uh, became famous comedians on their own when the band kind of like split up. Uh, I guess uh, maybe in the 1960s or the 70s. But uh, when I first got to know them, I got to know them individually as comedians or as TV personalities. And I never, I, I didn't know until much later that they were all together as this band called Crazy Cats. And uh, so it was a bit, of a, a bit of a revelation to me when I discovered, oh, all of these guys are together. And they were doing TV appearances and movies, uh, uh, movies just starring the Crazy Cats as well. Wow. But apparently, yeah, Mickey's mother was involved with them in terms of like singing together on uh, maybe uh, on records or perhaps live on stage, for example. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I, 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 it was always something that was curious to me. Like, I, I didn't know that they were actual like, movies. And I, I thought it was kind of just like a local band kind of thing. But yeah, you just kind of opened my mind to that. I, I wasn't aware. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and her mother being a jazz singer, yeah, you could definitely tell that she has that influence in, in throughout all of Mickey's music, throughout all her mm-hmm. discography. There's this undeniable jazz element to it that uh, yeah. you know it must have come from the mother. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, um, when I was kind of like going through the uh, the those six albums that we were you know we're going to be going through, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is there's always been kind of like that jazz that jazziness in her in her in her delivery, for one thing, and, and although it's like you know throughout depending upon the album she kind of goes into a little other genres or so. I always thought that she will, you know, at least one of one or two of the songs, she will still kind of come back to, I guess, where she where she came from, which is again a little bit of that jazzy side of city pop or AOR. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's kind of that was kind of like her her home base, uh, so to speak. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I could see that some some songs do pop up and they sound like you know a classic classic Mickey Matsubara, especially in the later mm-hmm. albums when she starts to deviate just a tiny bit. 
Um, yeah. And so you, I know you lived in, in Japan for, for, for some years. Um, did you、mm-hmm. ever think that、uh, Japanese music and Kaio Kyoku and, and all of these sorts of、uh, related genres would ever find this second life that it, they're experiencing right now? That's a great question because it's something that I, you know, when I was living there, I'd always kind of wondered about. Because, of course, in <clears throat> 1960, there was, this,、uh, there was this Japanese pop song that improbably became, you know, came to, you know, went to the top of the、uh, billboard charts,、uh, the Sukiyaki song by, Q, by the late Q Sakamoto in 1960.、Mm-hmm. And for that one, it was just a matter of,、uh, of uh, you know, the, somehow the record getting over to a、uh, radio station in the UK and then. Somehow getting it over to the United States, and where it became a huge hit, and Sakamoto ended up doing a lot of、uh, touring in the United States. But I mean, I was kind of wondering, you know, some, you know, off and on, would there ever be a Japanese song that would be like a Sukiyaki song? Would it, there be an actual Japanese song that becomes a hit? And, you know, it's like after, spent, after spending about many years in Japan and then coming back home to、uh, Toronto, Canada again, and doing the blog, it was always, again, I was wondering. Okay, will there be another、uh, Japanese song that will become a hit internationally like,、um, like Sukiyaki? So I was kind of wondering, oh, maybe it'll be Toshinobu Kubota or Dreams Come True or Hikaru Tada.、Uh, but、mm-hmm. they didn't, you know, they tried to break, it, break through in the United States, but they weren't all that successful. So then, you know, who knew? 2018, you know, YouTube algorithm, Maria Takeuchi and Plastic Love explodes all over, all over, all over YouTube and stuff. So I mean, I had, you know, I had no idea that something like,、uh, like a 35 year old song would just like, you know, just completely break that certain section of、uh, YouTube that way. Yeah, it was an unexpected hit. And I think, I don't think anyone was, you know, no, no one knew. It was, it's, and that's kind of the nuance of it that、uh, it's so unexpected. It's so out of nowhere.、Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what kind of makes it that much more fascinating、uh, that, you know, it just came out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I mean, I had the album、uh, where it came from, Variety by Takeuchi, for many years. And, you know, I, li- and I like,、um, and I mentioned it in the blog as well. I mean, Maria, I mean, Plastic Love was one of my favorites and stuff. But, you know, I had no idea that it would, do, that it would, it would get the second life. And I'm sure Maria herself didn't, had no idea that it would do, you know, just gangbusters all, all <laughs> over the internet like that.、Eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a, that's a great song, too. And, you know, it, it shares a couple similarities with,、um, with Stay With Me. You know, it has a, a, a kind of a dancey,、uh, driving,、mm. kind of melodic feel to it. And、uh, so there's, there's a couple similarities between the, the two songs. They're not identical, of course.、Uh, yeah. They're two very distinct singers, and they, they both have, you know,、uh, creative talent that is just. Amazing. Both of them are, are, are great. I, I, I enjoy both their discographies.、Um, but I, I do, I, I think maybe Plastic Love is just reaching a little bit of a saturation point.、Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> after, so many, after so many years, yeah, I would think so. Yeah.、Uh, I mean, it's been covered in multiple languages now.、Uh, it's.、Mm-hmm. it's In, uh, it's in video games, they're just putting it everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it blew up to the point where it's almost like dying down just a tiny bit. And now、uh, Mickey Matsubara is kind of、um, the, new, the new Maria Takeuchi. I know it's, it's, weird. <laughs> it's weird saying these things because it's such a, you know, it's, it's so odd, but it's true. You know, people are now kind of moving on into 
uh, discovering new Japanese artists. Uh, it doesn't matter if they were from the you know 70s or 80s. It's new for people, so they kind of just take it up with a new artist. They start digging a little deeper, and um, so you know who knows what's next after Mickey Matsu Bar. There might be another big hit. Do you think the, the what song would you think would be the next Mayonaka? Oh, I wish I oh oh I, I wish I could monetize that fully. <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I, you know, could it be like Junko Ohashi with Nemeda Night Diamond, or would it be mm. like uh, Junko Yagami with, uh, with that? I think I forgot the telephone uh, number. Uh, uh, telephone number, for example, or mm. with, with, with Junko Yagami, it could be like Purple Town or uh, Bay City or uh, Mizuiro no Ame, for example. Oh yeah. Um, you, you just yeah you, you, you just never know, but um, but yeah, I mean think of it this way i mean you know 10 years ago would we have even imagined that something like muddy you know like plastic love or stay with me would be like these huge hits on the net the japanese mm -hmm. songs in japanese it's like you know i i could i certainly couldn't have couldn't have imagined that 10 years ago when i was still living in japan yeah i, I can imagine and you know I, i've seen videos of like in street interviews in in tokyo where uh someone will ask like have you heard of city pop or and the, you know, a lot of the Japanese people on the street are just like kind of confused. They're like, "What? What <laughs> music is this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's uh, obviously you know a lot of the city pop in the last few years has been like uh, consumed by people from outside of Japan or so. And you know, I think uh, there have been a few uh, videos on YouTube as well, kind of showing uh, footage from uh, Japanese uh, variety shows or uh, like morning wide shows. As uh, they call them, uh, mm -hmm. where you know they're investigating this this city pop phenomenon outside of Japan, and it's like, yeah, the uh, the uh, the expressions from the people's from some of those TV personalities' faces are like, you know, their jaws are just their jaws are just dropped onto the desk or something. They they just can't they just can't believe that a Japanese artist would have be would be affecting non-Japanese audiences <laughs> this way, such as Maria Takeuchi or uh, Toshiki Kadomatsu or of course Atsuro Yamashita. Yeah, they're all seeing this revitalization of their music abroad. It's I can't imagine what they must think about it, but I'm sure they're appreciative. And I think every artist would probably want their music, you know, listened to all over the world. So it's great for them. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, recognition is given to people who deserve it. Has your blog seen uh, an increase in uh, visits since all of this happened? Uh I'm not. I haven't really like you know you know been very uh, kind of like focusing so hard on seeing like you know how you know how there if there have been any increases in uh, in uh, looks at my at my blog. Although I'm very appreciative of uh, if they are dropping in or so. But basically, uh, the whole thing with the blog uh, when I first started in 2012 was just was just finding out if people actually listen to the old stuff. I mean, I knew about all the Annie song, the the intros and the outros and. Uh, and of course, you know the the idol groups such, such as Johnny, the Johnny's groups, or the AKB48 type groups, or so. But I was kind of really curious about whether there would be any, anything about uh, people who'd be interested in the old stuff, such as 70s and 80s Enka or or the you know early Maria Takeuchi stuff, for example. And I found out pretty quickly, yeah, there was an interest out there. Now, I mean. Um, I, I think uh, certainly I've been getting comments and stuff about uh, you know some of the city pop stuff and how much they appreciate that you know I put up 
you know, I put up the article talking about this as well. So I think in that case, yeah, I've certainly seen some uptick of this in the last few years or so. Uh, but as natural numbers about, you know, actual uh, numbers with uh, regarding a certain article, I don't really know much about that, actually. But, mm -hmm. um, but you know, as long as people are interested in, you know, visiting the blog and, you know, leaving the odd comment, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm happy, basically. That's, that's good enough for me at this point. Yeah, I mean, the quality of your writing is superb, um, and I know people now are, you know, they're more interested in the, the history of the music and the history of the artists, and uh, your blog is delivering content that is not is not common on the internet right now at this point. I know other people are now starting to write about City Pop, like I saw an mm. article on Pitchfork and uh, Vice News, and uh, people are writing about it, but not to the... Uh, it, it, yours is just more comprehensive and now people are hungry for information and I feel like your vlog is the perfect kind of like entry point for people to just start finding stuff that they like and you know realizing that they have you know there's Japanese music that they can you know find something that they enjoy in and uh, it, it's it's wonderful that it's happening and um, I just hope it keeps exploding the way it is because you never know where what might happen with Japanese yeah, music you just never know uh, you know again no idea that Maria, you know, Plastic Love would do what it did, and the same goes for uh, for for Stay with Me. I mean, let's see what happens in the next next uh, next several months or maybe a few years. You know, maybe another uh, city pop song, or for that matter, any sort of Japanese song might you know might end up becoming the next big hit on YouTube or online anywhere. Right. Yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Um, you know, interesting thing about uh, Pocket Park, uh, the album that Stay With Me mm -hmm. is on. You know, um, Japanese record labels, are, they're, they're very shrewd. They uh, they probably noticed that uptick in sales abroad. Um, and they re-released, actually, Pocket Park, I think it was early this year? Yeah, I think it was actually, uh, I think it was either, either early this year or late last year. They, they, they saw the popularity of it and they put it on back on vinyl oh wow yeah, yeah. and I, I think it yeah. sold out immediately because I, I looked online <laughs> trying to find it because you know I, I bought the original uh like in 2016 it was like under 2,000 yen it was really cheap <laughs> uh you know it was pristine not, a, not anymore <laughs> no it's like you know over 200 dollars <laughs> probably on yeah. discogs now oh, oh, so, it's, oh it's crazy it's crazy it's insane, um, and you know that value is just gonna keep going up. I, well, as long as they, yeah. uh, they might just keep doing re-releases like they did uh, for Tomoko Oran and uh, and other oh, yeah. uh, other city pop artists. Uh, because I, I, yeah. I bought a Tomoko Oran a, a while back. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you how much I paid for it because I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> but let's just say it lost value when they repressed it four times in two years. Oh, oh which album are you talking about? Uh, Fuyu Kukan. Oh, okay, okay, that, it's yeah, like the blue I, I, one. I have that one too, yeah, I have oh, that wow. one too. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll re-release uh, more of Mickey's music, especially Pocket Park in vinyl, because the vinyl craze is on, like, people want physical media, mm. and they're probably just mm -hmm. tired of MP3s, and, you know, there's this push to have things in, a, in, in like, material form to be able to hold uh, an item and uh, possess it. Uh, and I think that's something that MP3s obviously cannot give people. So they want the experience. And City Pop, uh, part of the collector's uh, kind of craze right now is that they're like, um, they're almost, well, vinyl is collectible in, in its own way, but uh, City Pop has this cult kind of thing building around it. I'm not sure if you've noticed that at all. 
Um, what do you mean by this kind of like, uh, like oh, this a cult thing? Like, like a cultish up. obsession, or like they're com- becoming like cult items, almost like the cult Ooh. status stuff. Oh, I see. I you know, I actually, I, I, I hadn't heard anything about that or so, but um, yeah, but no, I going back to your previous point, I, I do agree. I'm a bit, I'm a bit old fashioned because I don't really, I don't really download uh, any like music from the net or so, like from from Apple Music or from Spotify. I actually like to have the physical CD or the LP in my hands. And so, you know, especially because they also have the, uh, the booklet inside with, you know, uh, other like photographs or, uh, you know, inf- liner notes about the, the making of the album. And uh, uh, of course, that's something you just can't get when you're downloading MP3s, for example. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and this, this push is coming from younger people uh, who are kind of now developing this taste for vinyl records, which is, you know, yeah. good, good and bad, depending on who you ask. <laughs> Because, you know, that, you know, scarcity is a thing in the vinyl scene and especially with these records that have, yeah. you know, tremendous value now and they're so rare. Uh, like the, there's this one uh, Junko Ohashi compilation called Magical. Um, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That was okay. $500 last October and I wrote an article about it. And today it's over like $1,000 for a record, <laughs> you know, a, a Junko Ohashi <laughs> record. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is maybe the thing about like uh, the whole thing about again with plastic love and just the craziness about you know how popular it became. Uh, you know, there was that um, Saturday Night Live uh, William Shatner sketch from 1986, and you know the Get a Life sketch basically. Uh, yeah, sometimes I'm sometimes I kind of wonder if Maria Takeuchi might you know just think about you know all of this love for this one particular song and she might kind of say guys you know i i have other songs that i've made too you know you don't have to like focus on on right. plastic love so much or so you know I, i'm sure she will never say get a life to her fans <laughs> but um but yeah i mean yeah um when things go like you know into triple digits or like quadruple digits for an album um yeah that yeah, that kind of that's a bit concerning for me. I think that's become <laughs> that's not no longer art. That's now like into commerce, basically, basically an investment. <laughs> you're making it. You're making an investment now. I think right. uh, for that. Eh? So yeah, yeah. I mean, I could you know as much as as much as I love Junko Oashi and the songs from Magical, <laughs> I don't I don't think I can put up a thousand bucks for <laughs> for an LP like that. Eh? Yeah, yeah, that that that's something else. Uh, well, I, you know, it, it just it, I, I got taken back by that. I was like, wow, one thousand dollars for uh, you know, and it, it totally, you know, I, I understand the uh, obsession with nostalgia. Uh, that's 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 been an ongoing theme for the past you know couple decades. Everyone just loves nostalgia, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, the nostalgia has a big play in in all of this because um, a lot of people who are buying these records sometimes aren't even old enough to remember the times that these records were created in so it's like well what what are they taking from this like what what is this obsession with things like you know albums like pocket park and mickey matsubara like how how are people finding this this urge to feel nostalgia for things that aren't even from their own kind of lifetimes yeah and that's a i think that's a question i had because a lot of the comments i've been reading on youtube for these songs is like I was not even born back anywhere near the 80s, and yet I'm having this nostalgic attack <laughs> for that time. And I, I don't think even even those people are, you know, can really answer that question themselves. So I can't really ask them as to why they're feeling so nostalgic. 
but I'm, I'm kind of wondering uh, if it's something to do with the, with the music itself, if there was some sort of physiological thing, uh, physiological effect from the, the grooves, the certain harmonies or, uh, or chords that are being used in these songs. Because you know, a lot a number of number of these city pop songs are like, they're they're kind of like inspired by Steely Dan or Doobie or the Doobie Brothers, for example, or Airplay with uh, with David Foster in there. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if there's something in those chords. I think they mentioned something like you know, with Steely Dan, there's a Steely Dan chord or the Moo chord that just makes the Steely Dan song a Steely Dan song. Mm -hmm. But is there something? I'm not sure. I mean, may, uh, maybe you might be able to answer this because you know, I'm not a musicologist per se, but is there? Do you think there's some sort of a, like a physiological thing between like these songs and how these people are feeling from it? You know, that is something that I've uh, I've been thinking about for a long time because it's such an interesting phenomenon, and I'm not sure if there's some kind of a genetic predisposition uh, that carries over into uh, you know generations, uh, people's children who just kind of grow up and they just kind of already like the music that their parents liked. Or there's something mm. something going on there that is uh, deeper than uh, what we can uh, analyze right now, and I'm sure in the future maybe they'll have uh, a better idea of what's going on and and why exactly uh, nostalgia is being transferred from you know one country to the next, one generation to the next, uh, without there being any real clear connection. Uh, it, it's something it's very almost mysterious in a way, and it's not it's not discussed enough, I think. I, I think we need to definitely look into that further. Uh, but it, it is such a complex topic. Uh, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin because, you know, sometimes <laughs> I, I don't even know where I'm getting my nostalgia. I'm like, what, what is this satisfaction I'm getting from pretending like I lived in that era? And, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. It, you know, it, it, it is. And I, and I, you know, I can say that <clears throat> I was lucky that, you know, although I wasn't living in Japan, I did visit in 81. Uh, in Tokyo for uh, for basically a month or so, mm -hmm. so you know I was lucky to have been actually uh, in that environment, and uh, you know it you know changed my life completely in terms of uh, like what my career choice was. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know I, you know I think people kind of wondering what life was like back in the 1980s. I can I can certainly sympathize <laughs> with how you know how they want to. Oh, I really wanted to live in that time or so. Because, uh, yeah, you know, my impression of Japan when I was there as a high school student was like, yeah, this is definitely a very, very different place uh, from Toronto, Canada. Uh, I, I just, you know, I just had these, wow, this is this is definitely a really, you know, futuristic city, I, mm -hmm. you know, my impression or so. And, uh, yeah, it, it really affected uh, the course of my life after that. Well, yeah, I, I can imagine because I mean, your blog, when you decided to do that, I know you said you were just interested in seeing who else was out there sharing that mm. kind of passion for the music. Um, so the response you would say was positive right off the bat or were just people who didn't know where to, you know, where to congregate online to kind of uh, celebrate this kind of mood? I think uh, the first uh, the first few comments or the first several comments, anyways, the the very first comment I received, I think, was by a, from a fellow from Romania of all places, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he apparently had a Japanese businessman friend who was bringing him forty uh, fives and and uh, LPs all the time from Japan, and that's how he got into like Kaio Kyoku, via the uh, the the old Japanese pop stuff or so. 
Um, but the, you know, the, a lot of the comments were basically, yeah, very positive and uh, you know, very grateful that you know there, this blog existed and now I can you know remember this song and stuff. And they were talking about what they were doing when uh, when they were when they bought this uh, when they bought this record. Uh, you know, one person was talking about you know he was uh, he was actually I think uh, a, sa a U.S. sailor on board one of the ships at Yokosuka, for example. And yeah, and and, and that's the type of you know that's the type of um, comment I always appreciate because yeah, my whole blog is about you know it's like at the at when I first started was about. How I wanted to, you know, it's like, what was I doing when uh, when I got this song? Why did I buy this song? That type of thing, the whole thing or show. But uh, yeah, to hear comments like that was, uh, yeah, was really good to hear um, when I first got them. Yeah, I, I can imagine a lot of people were were happy with finding uh, that they weren't alone out there uh, with their mm -hmm. love for Japanese music, and um, you know now. You know, uh, there's so many communities building around, uh, you know, classic Japanese music that it, it's incredible to me that, and it's people from all over the world. Uh, so not just Romania now, like uh, people from Brazil, from yeah. from Luxembourg, mm -hmm. from anywhere uh, can find something that they enjoy in Japanese music. And they're coming together to kind of, you know, bring their passions, uh, to unite their passion for Japanese music, which is amazing to me. Uh, you know, we live in such an interesting time. Um, mm. But I, I can only imagine where this is all going to go because, you know, uh, not that long ago, right after the, the whole TikTok thing with Mickey Matsubara, her music was released on Spotify and, you know, it, it, it topped the uh, the Spotify global chart for 20 days straight. Uh, I, read, I read that. Right. That was amazing. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought, wow. you know? Um, no, so, no, no one would have thought. Yeah. Amazing. Where do you think this is all going to go ultimately? Like in the like near near future, maybe like ten years from now, do you think Japanese is going to be a new auxiliary language where people are going to want to kind of learn and express themselves in that language? Well, if they're if they're masochists, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Japanese is not an easy language to learn. But um, what I think what I think is they think. You know, when um, I mean, if, if someone asked me, oh, is this city pop thing a fad? And I would definitely say, no, it's not a fad. I think, you know, after several years now of this, I think it's uh, very much here to stay as this kind of like this niche in world music. I think there will always be people like coming on board and enjoying city pop or or generally Kaio Kyoku, for example. So I think it's here. I think it's definitely here to stay. As for the future, uh, I'm assuming that yeah, it will sit, it will hang around, you know, permanently now. Uh, I, I think what I think though is maybe that, that there will be, you know, we've just had the stage of people discovering this uh, this new genre of city pop, and I think from now, I think people are now either starting to make covers of those songs or creating their own uh, works based on city pop, their own original works or so. So you know, recently we've had uh, there's one fellow who uh, a Japanese a Japanese person who's now like creating his own city pop songs with a bluesy edge. His name is Masa, and he's up on and his channel's up on YouTube. And uh, there's this fellow that I just found out about called Cameron Liu, aka um, uh, Ginger Root, who's from Huntington Beach, Huntington Beach uh, California, who's been making a bit more of a vapor wavy type of. Uh, of city pop, uh, city pop song as well. So I think that's probably the next stage for the next few, at least for the next few years, anyways. Uh, new original city pop type stuff. 
Yeah, I can appreciate that. I know Ginger Root. I really, I really enjoy his music. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant artist. Um, and you know, uh, the funny thing about city pop is that you know we never really had a, a clear impression of what the art style was, and it kind of evolved from the genres that were sampling it in the mid 2010s. Uh, so vaporwave and future funk had this kind of um, pastel anime kind of city look. And that kind of yep. carried over into city pop because they were sampling city pop, and mm-hmm. um, and now today when you think about it, there are art classes online uh, dedicated to teaching this style of vintage kind of anime looking uh, art that is now what people know city pop as. It's 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 an interesting thing reassigning uh, a visual aesthetic to a genre from the past that didn't have this aesthetic. We kind of assigned it to them. Uh, so that is, it's interesting what City Pop is doing and how it's expanding and, and influencing artists. Um, and I, I, I'm all for it, you know. I, I think the funky, accessible, kind of jazzy uh, music from the past really, really wants to come back. And I think young people want that music too. Because today, music is so, uh, there's a lot of soulless, like, plain music that's being uh, kind of credited as, like, new and exciting when it's, you know, there's nothing to it it's just kind of the same stuff rehashed over and over and uh, you know i'm not gonna say anything bad about k-pop because you know I, I i don't want to get death threats but you know <laughs> okay, yes. k-pop you know it, it's it's so formulaic there's no uh th- there's no freedom in it to me it feels very constrained and city pop is like the opposite of that and i think hopefully and you know k-pop artists are now being influenced by city pop there's this whole k city pop thing going on i'm not sure if you were even aware of that um, mm-hmm. But there's this push to have music uh, that's a little bit more funky, a little bit more free, and I think city pop has helped uh, revitalize that in young people, especially. I think, yeah, I mean, city pop has kind of like gone to other countries. It's not, I mean, I mean, we just talked about Rainich uh, from Indonesia, right. and uh, with uh, her cover of uh, "Stay with Me." But you know, I, I've heard. Um, I mean, South Korea has apparently also been kind of exploring city pop too. Uh, Mexico, I, I think that's another. I think a commenter kind of uh, sent me a link to a, to a Mexican band that was doing uh, oh, some wow. city pop stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, other. I think there would be other. I can imagine, certainly imagine, like uh, Brazil or Peru, uh, kind of exploring that because they do have you know rather large ethnic Japanese populations there too. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, and you know, with the with the Tokyo Olympics just ending now, a lot of people were were curious in how uh, you know people were going to respond musically. If there was going to be uh, any sort of city pop played at the Olympics to kind of honor the moment, uh, nothing was played, unfortunately. But you know, anime music, yeah. uh, I think video game music got its moment, so that that's good for them. Uh, but I, right. I, I do notice uh, countries like Brazil have an affinity for uh, Japan, especially musically. Uh, there was a lot of ideas being exchanged. Uh, I know Taiko Nuki had uh, like a whole bossa nova kind of sound for a while. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think that was maybe around uh, late 80s or so, I think. Mm-hmm. Eh? Yeah, and you know, there's, there's uh, some French uh, kind of synth pop stuff going on with her too. In your blog, um, have you ever considered uh, doing uh, a post about maybe uh, Japanese versions of world music because uh, I, I know they you know Ruchi Sakamoto was doing stuff like that too uh, have you yeah. ever done anything like that on your blog 
Well, I haven't. I haven't really. I have never done an article like uh, in terms of like uh, world music. You know, like you know, top world music Japanese songs, for example. But yeah, I mean, Taiko Taiko Onuki. I mean, she she's a very interesting uh, singer and songwriter because. You know, she started with Tatsuro Yamashita of all people in Sugar Babe uh, in the nineteen in the mid nineteen seventies, and then she set out in a completely different direction, uh, starting with uh, with her, uh, you know, city seventy stuff, city pop stuff, and then making a uh, you know a ninety degree turn with Ryuji Sakamoto and doing some of that um, half kind of French sounding and half synth pop type stuff as well before going to boss into you know world music slash bossa nova type mm-hmm. music in from the from the late 80s or so but yeah i mean um if i were to do a world music article uh in the blog i think yeah tagoniki would be included with it within that within that you know group of singers let's say yeah oh for sure um so getting back to mickey matsubara um i know a lot of people uh know her for that um that classic song of hers Stay with me, but she did. Um, she did music for anime too. Uh, I think Gundam and Dirty Pair. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, I think going into the uh, into the nineteen nineties. Uh, basically, I think uh, she released eight original albums, all in the eighties, and then from the nineties forward, she was doing a lot of uh, uh, creation of anime songs and also songs for you know commercial jingles on television for for different companies or so. And I think that was kind of like where she preferred to be uh, more than singing after that, uh, you know, during, you know, in the remaining years of her life, I think. Yeah, I, I read that she, she made a lot of commercial jingles and things like that. And, you know, thinking about her life uh, and the significance of it, you know, I, I, I don't think she knew the effect that her music would have on the world. And, and, and that's what makes me really kind of sad about it, that she had this potential to be this global superstar and it was never realized and you know she passed away in it was 2004 um mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a, a a closed matter like it wasn't like publicized a lot i i, I read so it wasn't this you know t it wasn't this huge announcement you know it was kind of just like this somber moment where you know they she passed away and a month later is when they informed the public and so all of this adds such a kind of like a melancholy to, to her music and, and listening to it, it gives you, you know, you can't help but see the entire picture. At least for me, I, I tend to uh, visualize the life of the artist as they're singing it. And, and hers is, it, it's, such a, it's such a poignant kind of conclusion. It's, it's a sad conclusion, but putting it all together, it, it, it really, I don't know, it, it has this effect on you that, at least on me, that uh, it makes me terribly uh, kind of not wistful, but it's another word. Yeah, I mean, uh, wistful, point, poignant would be a, would be an apt adjective as well. Um, somewhat melancholy, but you know, I think that's. Uh, I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've never obviously I've never met I've never met uh, Mickey Matsubara, but uh, you know, just judging uh, what was what's been written from about her and stuff, I think she was. Uh, you know, very amiable, very uh, very modest, self-effacing, perhaps a very self-effacing person, maybe, uh, for an Osaka, let's say. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I I don't think she would have she would have even have imagined that uh, this uh, this debut single of hers that she released just uh, you know when she was still technically a teenager right. um, 
that she, you know, that would, you know, that would just affect so many people around the world now. <clears throat> I don't think she would have ever have imagined that anything like that happening. Uh, and, you know, wherever she is, if she's looking down upon us, she's probably like <laughs> very, I'm hoping that she would be very flattered mm -hmm. uh, and uh, very surprised, uh, you know, how successful uh, uh, Stay With Me has been getting now as, uh, in its second life, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I really hope that uh, somewhere she is happy and, um, you know, in 1979, she, she, she wanted us to stay with her and, you know, we're going to stay with her now. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. So we're going to take a short break and then when we come back, we'll go ahead and discuss her sixth first studio album. So we'll be right back in just a few moments. サービスをご存知ですか。山陽証券駅まっせんか。サービスをご存知ですか。山陽の Alright, welcome back to Mayonaka Hour. I'm here with Alan Ikasaka of Kaiokyoku Plus. And we are going to be discussing Miki Matsubara's first six studio albums. Just a kind of a brief, brief uh, look at what she was doing for the uh, first couple years of her musical career, her professional recording career. Uh, so in 1980, uh, she debuted uh, her album, Who Are You? Um, and it's her first record, uh, I think, which you know launched her career. Um, uh, the interesting thing about this album is that Masataka Masu, Masutoya was actually doing keyboards and, and arranging. And, you know, a lot of people probably know him from Yumi Masutoya, which they're, you know, he's married to her. I, I think before they were married, she went by Yuming and then, you know, they married and then she was Yumi Masutoya. Yeah, uh, yeah, she was, her maiden name was uh, Yumi Arai. And uh, yeah, her nickname, uh, I guess, from high school was uh, Yuming or so. And then, uh, she was like one of the pioneers of new music and for the first, uh, for, I guess, in the early 1970s. And when she, then when she got married to uh, Masataka Matsutoya, uh, she changed her name to, uh, Yumi, Mats to Yumi Matsutoya. And uh, I think her music, her music went into a slightly more popular, uh, even more popular uh, direction or so from that point onwards. Yeah, he probably had a lot of influence on it. And, and he's, he's such a great musician himself. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, uh, Shigeru Suzuki uh, was, is on guitar on this album, so it's kind of a it's kind of a, a big debut because all these heavy hitters were contributing, uh, and you can definitely feel it on this album because there's a lot of there's a lot of good moments on here. Um, Stay with me isn't on this one, but it's still equally as good in my opinion. Um, it's, it's it's not credited enough. There's a, there's a lot of good songs on here. 
which it starts with I I used to know Brown Shoesu, um, so I guess his Brown Shoes, which is it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. There's a lot of trademark Englishy stuff on there that kind of really exemplifies city pop. You know, whenever you throw in those English words into one of these kinds of songs, it, it immediately feels like city pop. It gives you that that kind of vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the tracks are in both English and uh, Japanese, like the titles. Um, sometimes you'll use English, sometimes you use Japanese or a mixture of it. Um, yep. So that, that that really gives it a really interesting feel. Um, uh, it's really cosmopolitan. I think this one specifically, and she was so young when it came out. I think she, this is 1979, so she was probably, or 1980, so it, she must have been... Uh, around 19 or 20, I'm not sure. I think she was probably at that point maybe uh, 20. Uh, I, th- I think 20 or so. I think maybe less than a year after she released uh, Stay With Me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. And this album specifically, uh, my favorite on it, which is Jazzy Night. I mean, that, that's uh, classic. Yes. Yeah, are you familiar yep. with it? Well, yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, written by the same duo behind... Uh, behind uh, Stay With Me, that's like the composer was Tetsuzi Hayashi, which is who's one of the premier city pop composers, and then uh, veteran lyricist uh, Yoshiko Miura, uh, who done, uh, who's done a lot of uh, other singers as well, including Seiko Matsuda's big hits oh. uh, for that one as well. But yeah, Jazzy Night is uh, one of the highlights, I think also for me, uh, the, the song, the track that comes before that, Hello Walls, with, uh, with uh, Ken Sato, who's married to Junko Ohashi as well so, oh yeah yeah but uh, that's also another that's also another uh, very nice that's also a very nice song as well I, I you know my impression of the album was like it's uh there's a lot of uh, kind of light and kind of whimsy tracks on there uh rock and pop a bit of a west bit of west coast also um there is a second track uh run rabbit run which kind of reminds me of the crystals uh <laughs> i think the do the, the do ron ron song i think it was yeah uh, back in the 1960s but yeah, I think she was kind of pushing herself a little bit more out there, I guess, for the second album. Yeah, she was. Um, but to, to, just to add on that, um, on that, that whimsical nature of that, that Kimagure Usagi, that whim, whimsical rabbit, run, rabbit, run, I think it's yeah, uh, called. Yeah. Uh, it, it does have that kind of 60s vibe. Like, it reminds me of, you know, those like um, those rockabillies in Yoyogi Park that kind of just like, <laughs> it gives me that yeah. kind of feel. Um, well right timing too i think that's when uh, it was like uh, really big in uh, in in uh, near yogi park yeah so I'm, I'm sure there was some influence there um so that leads into pocket park which came out the same year uh so she came out with two albums in the same year that's that's incredible to me uh, yeah yeah not surprising though they really push they really push singers hard mm-hmm. back then mm-hmm. yeah and uh, her album her record label seesaw at the time uh, right. I, I think she she had probably like a six record deal with them or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So she, she she released a lot of stuff with them and uh, Pocket Park was is, is is on there also. And so Pocket Park, uh, this is the one we were talking about earlier. You know, it got re released recently, sold out almost immediately. It's an yeah. iconic record. It's it's a beautiful record. I, I love it. There's a poster of her inside. Uh, it, it's it's just beautiful. There's, I I can't uh, express how much I love it because it, it it would sound obsessive. Uh, but it is an obsession. <laughs> um, it, obviously, my favorite on here, uh, my own Akano Door, uh, Stay With Me. I mean, there's no there's no denying that this is one of the most iconic songs uh, of all time for Japanese singers, I think, you know, at least in my opinion. 
I think in you know not surprisingly it's uh, track one on the album, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know following that is uh, it's so creamy, which is uh, which is kind of a bit more of a it, indeed it's a very light mellow song I think mm-hmm. so I thought it was very good. Um, the other the, the interesting thing about this song, uh, just looking up the Japanese Wikipedia article for uh, for Pocket Park, is that the the people who were helping out behind the scenes here, uh, you had a lot of uh, songwriters such as again. Uh, Yoshiko Miura is in there again. Junko Ohashi's husband Ken Sato, uh, Fujimaru Yoshino uh, from the mm. ABs, oh, yeah. and yeah, so Tetsuji Hayashi is involved in this one. And you actually even have Junko Ohashi's uh, back backup band, uh, Minowa Central Station, uh, working on tracks two, three, and four on side A, mm-hmm. uh, and even uh, Shogun, the band Shogun, which uh, which had Fujimaru Yoshi- yeah. Yoshino's band, eh? Uh, who came up with Bad City, I think, in uh, the previous year. Uh, yeah, they were involved. So, you, I mean, you have, you have all these uh, big names. And again, J.K.H. Conception is in there on the saxophone, and uh, and uh, Eve as the backup chorus. Basically, Jake and Eve were, were on pretty much every pop album that's ever been known in Japanese history throughout the, eight, throughout the 80s or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some really big, uh, big names behind her uh, in the production of this one. Oh yeah, you could tell her record label really saw the potential, and they really wanted to make this the best production it could be. Uh, and you know, forty years later, or, or it's, it's, you know, it, it's still here. It, it, it's, uh, it's an accomplishment. It, I think it's her magnum opus. Uh, and you know, the the amount of collaboration that was on it is just, you know, incredible. Like they, they really did believe in her. And, and and how how successful she could be uh, and you know they, they were right they were right from the start um, you know uh, I, I love almost everything on here for sure uh, mind game uh, I think is one of my other favorites because it has kind of like a, a disco uh, kind mm. of vibe and uh, I love a good flute <laughs> and there's a really good flute <laughs> in the background flute, yes <laughs> yeah, any, any good flute solos and I'm sold I'm like oh that's a good use of a flute um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah, and I think that it's so creamy has a, has a flute in there as well. So yep. yeah, I can certainly understand. Yeah, it's it's so creamy is a fun one. I love the synth work on that. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's a really great album, and that leads to Cupid in 1981, uh, which is it's a really interesting album too. You know, it, it, it in many ways, you know, it's kind of like a modernization of uh, Pocket Park. I could tell that they were mm. uh, they were just trying to improve on what was already successful. They weren't trying to deviate from the formula that had worked on uh, Pocket Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly w- I certainly wouldn't think that uh, you know Matsubara was going to be pushed into punk rock or <laughs> like uh, death metal or something right. on, on any of her albums. Uh, yeah, I I think the other the other and also has like uh, I think another uh, prominent song of hers that's that's on the best album the best compilation I've had which is uh, track two on side B, Need on a Gogo Sanji, Need Afternoon at Three O'clock, uh, which was also again written by Yoshiko Miura. But uh, the other thing was the other interesting thing is again uh, a lot of really big names in terms of the bands and stuff. Uh, side A was uh, the band backing up was uh, Doctor Strut, which was this. Uh, LA-based band, I think maybe into R&B and fusion. A lot of uh, Ace uh, session musicians were helping us, so they were backing her up on the first five songs uh, on on uh, on side A of the original LP for this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's a stunning album too, and I do like that. Nito uh, uh, Go Go Sanji. Uh, I think that's a really neat one. It, it really does. Uh, she's neat, neat, neat. I, I love that. It's, yes. it's really cool. Mm-hmm. She's she's good with choruses and catchy kind of catchy uh, um, uh, kind of like uh, uh, verses that are just they, they just stick with you. It, it, it's fun. She and I I can see why she worked w- w- in jingles and doing stuff like that later on because mm. she's just so good at it. Um, another one of my favorites on there is One Summer Night. That's a really really great oh, yes. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh let's see here uh one-way street obviously yeah that that one's such a like it has a, like a really uh, almost like a tough vibe to it she's really just like edgy for mickey it was a really edgy song which i mm-hmm, which i loved mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I really like this album i have it on vinyl also um oh. mm-hmm. yeah that's one good and it, it ends with dream in the screen which is it's, I, don't, I don't it's it's a, it's a wonderful song i don't think she knew uh how uh relatable that would be later on for a lot of people because you know everyone's just on screen now and, you know dreaming the screen uh yeah so that's yeah. That, that really relates to uh contemporary times um, we're all constantly dreaming in the screen yeah and and you know it's like i think this is also one of her i guess one of her uh, uh earlier efforts in the, in terms of uh coming up with her own lyrics so she she and uh uh, Yoshiko Miura were working on the lyrics for this one together for Dream in the Screen. So mm. there's that one there. And uh, for me, yeah, uh, I think, you know, when I was first listening, I was kind of jotting down like which tracks I really liked. And I liked uh, pretty much most of the tracks on this uh, on this album on Cupid. So I think for me, I think uh, number three, track three, Aoi Bode Pen, uh, Blue Ballpoint Pen was one of my was one of my favorite highlights there. Uh, also with Nitna Gogo Sanji, uh, One mm-hmm. Summer Night Dream in the Screen. Um, what was the other one here? Uh, Watashi wa Modorenai, which was oh, track yeah. four on side A as well. Uh, really, really good. Yeah. And again, uh, yeah, just a lot of uh, a lot of top class um, backup in terms of like uh, in terms of instruments and stuff like that. Really, oh, really good. definitely. Yeah. I, to to add to yours, yeah, Watashi wa Modorenai. Uh, that is one of my favorites on here because you know it's the slower one. And for some reason, it gives me a little bit of a Diana Ross kind of vulnerability. Oh. I don't oh, know. It, it just gives me a little bit of that. But I love the, the range on it because she goes from, you know, she, she has a lot of genre influences. and uh, it, But it always leads back to, like you said, it goes back to her roots, the jazz at the core of her, uh, you know, of her musical kind of identity is that jazz mm-hmm. element to it. And it's so beautiful and I love it. Um that goes into uh, myself, which is 1982, I believe. Yeah, March 1982 was the release uh, release date for that one. Yeah, and again, another winner. Doctor Strut basically again pops up here. Uh, they arrange every track, and uh, so yeah, and again, a lot of big names. Masataka Matsuya was in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Issei Okamoto, who was another one of the more obscure city pop artists at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and. Fujimaru Yoshino is also helping out too, but yeah, Doctor Strut decided to this time actually help out for the entire album. Oh, that's, it, mm-hmm. it, it has a really disco-y kind of energy to it. Yeah, um, I think so. I, I, I mean, I like it. It's very uh, sophisticated. I think it, it's definitely uh, working on what was successful for her, and it's just kind of just it's it's not. Um, I wouldn't say it's terribly different from anything she's done, but she does, you know, she evolves tiny bits here and there. You can tell that there's some experimentation going on in certain in certain tracks, um, like uh, Binetsuga Hainetsuza. I 
think low grade fever is. Oh one yes, one. that's right. That's, that's yes, really that's interesting right. one. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cute. The chorus is cute in a way. It's like playful, uh, like kawaii kind of funk. It's 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 very uh, almost on brand for for Mickey because she's very uh, I would say a cute individual uh, as a person and her personality. I think I you know obviously I you know I haven't met her personally, but I've, I I yes. listened to one mm -hmm. of her like radio interviews. And like just her normal speaking voice, even was very like sweet. Um, There's just something mm. about her. Uh, I'll send you that interview because it's 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 really good. Uh, yeah, I because I've never heard I've never heard her in an interview before. I've only heard her singing. Mm -hmm. So uh, this would be this would be very interesting for me to uh, take a take a gander at. Yeah, I will, I'll I'll send that over to you. And um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool tracks on here. I like the the ca the calendar calendori. It's track number five on there. It has like an right, AM rock right. kind of vibe to it. It mm -hmm. feels like really breezy. You know, it's a song about seasons. Um, so uh, I really like that one. And um. Uh, Seesaw Love, I thought was interesting because that's you know that's the name of her record label. Uh, yeah, there you go, there you go. Yeah, so Seesaw Love, and it, it's a good song too. It, it you know it, it definitely uh, speaks to the relationship they must have had as an artist and a, and a label. Uh, and usually, you know, sometimes those things don't go as well. But uh, yes. her probably mm -hmm. did go pretty good. Uh, any other tracks mm -hmm. on there you really like? Uh, for me, it's like uh, yeah, I think. One that's uh, yeah, Binetsuga Heinets was one was one song again because of that cute little uh, <laughs> yeah. the cute the, the cute little chorus that she you know obviously we were talking about the fact that she has a talent with commercial jingles and mm -hmm. I think track three was kind of like uh, one of the uh, illustrations of that uh, the previous uh, previous track uh, track two signing de Odoranai. Uh, which basically to me means three's a crowd. <laughs> I thought was also really was also pretty cool as well. Yeah, I mean it, li it literally means uh, we don't. I don't dance with. I don't dance in threes here. So it's like, yeah, a uh, bit of a <laughs> probably a bit of a a bit of a uh, love triangle kind of complication here. Right. That type of that type of thing or so. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean uh, those are the those are the things. Uh, those are things I kind of kind of enjoyed about uh, track two as well. But uh, yeah, I mean. I think with uh, with with myself, I think, uh, mo again, most of the tracks I really I really enjoyed. I mean, this would be some if I can get it, I would be more than happy to uh, to invest my money in, in getting this album too. Yeah, this one I don't have, but I definitely do. And you know, the good thing is that some of these albums are still relatively cheap uh, for the moment. You never know. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I would you know I would recommend uh, getting as many Mickey albums as you can because you never know. You never know where this might go. Um, yeah, th this album, solid album. I, I really like it. Very metropolitan for me. It has jazz, funk, pop, soul, disco. You know, everything you could ask for city pop. It's, it's, it's you know, it's that iconic kind of cosmopolitan vibe where it's English, all the multiple English choruses, English verses sometimes. Uh, it, it's, it's a great album. I, I really do like Somewhere, also track four, because it's so expansive. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely a mood. It makes you feel like a longing to, you know, somewhere out there it's 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 a beautiful song it's one of my favorite songs on the album mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and, and again it's like uh, this time it's like you have a um i think i think it's a bit more unified because of dr strut's uh you know overall uh, production uh, on the entire album not just not just one side or so but the both sides basically for the original lp so yeah i think there's a bit more perhaps of a more of a unified uh, flavor to uh to uh, myself mm-hmm so Dr. Strutt, I'm sorry, I'm not too familiar with them. Um, what what could you what 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 could you tell me about them? 
Well, doctors. Well, I mean, before before uh, you know, before you know, going to this assignment for uh, Mickey Matsubara, I, I, you know, I'd never heard of Doctor Strat myself. But from what I read about them online, was that uh, this was a group of studio musicians from you know from both sides of the uh, both sides of the United States, West Coast and East Coast. And one day they decided, well, let's get all together and just you know push the envelope in what we can do together, as uh, just you know as this uh, as this uh, studio band. And so they're do. I think I gathered that they were doing a lot of R&B funk fusion type stuff. Um, so I don't. Not, I'm not sure how long how long the uh, how the band how long the band lasted or so. But obviously they they were there in the, in the early '80s and they were more than happy to help out Miki Matsubara with uh, with at least a couple of her albums. Yeah, well, uh, it was definitely to uh, the benefit of the album because yeah, that's that's a great one too. I'm gonna definitely look into them. That sounds really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So that leads us to Aya, uh, which is also from 1982. So there's this kind of um, rhythm to having two albums released a year for her, uh, at least mm-hmm. at least with Seesaw Records. Um, and this one, you know, there, it, there's definitely a, a bit of an evolution, uh, a little bit of a departure, a tiny bit of a departure from the last albums. Um, there's more of a catchy jingle vibe to it. Like you can tell a lot of the songs have these earworm kind of melodies. Uh, that just stay with you. Yeah, I think uh, for me, uh, first very first track change, kind of kind of hit me right there. It's like it just it didn't sound like a typical Mickey Matsubara song. I think it was a little bit. I think there was a synthesizer which kind of started things off there, and uh, that kind of said, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe she's going into a bit of a different direction or something like that. Um, but another another song that kind of that was uh, very uh, interesting for me as well was the. Um, the last song on side A, uh, track five, uh, Ayanai Yoruniwa, uh, on the night that we cannot meet, uh, which was actually written by Etsuko Kisugi and uh, uh, composed by Takao Kisugi, who are this, you know, very, very, uh, very successful sibling uh, songwriting team. And uh, my impression is that they're very well known for making very, very lush, very lush ballads for female singers. And I kind of caught that kind of vibe as well with Ayana uh, Yoruniwa on a track on side A. Yeah, that that does sounds really dreamy. You know, there's like a really dreamy mm. mood to it. It's almost like ethereal uh, how, how how they arranged it. It's it's a it's a really beautiful song. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, not not every song on here is my absolute favorite, but there are some good songs that I really do enjoy. Some some funny songs too, like the the salad 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 one. Salad salad. Yes, <laughs> yes, salad salad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that that was a that was an interesting one, and you know the the Turampu uh, no Ojo, Trump Castle. <laughs> oh yes, I get. Uh, well, well, I'm sure I'm sure we weren't thinking. I'm sure she wasn't thinking about certain billionaires, current presidents at that time. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's that one. Uh, what did you think of? Uh, there was another track on side B, Sugar Me, Sugar Me. Oh, you know, I like that mid-tempo range for her. Um, it, 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 and that the reverb effect on that I, I thought was really like, was really good. Uh, it, it, it's good. I, I mean, it's not what I would typically um, assume from her, uh, and that's what I like. You know, it's unexpected for her. Uh, it's different, but it works for me. I, I think it's it's not my absolute favorite, but I think uh, it, it's a good use of her vocal talent. Yeah, I think um, I mean I think even from uh, right from the beginning, right from Pocket Park, there was uh, one track on Pocket Park called. Uh, troublemaker <laughs> which uh when i heard that i was like holy crow is she going into like rock here <laughs> like it's like oh okay that's uh it was and, and, and it, it wasn't one of my favorite tracks from pocket park to be honest mm-hmm. but 
you know, she was at least trying to uh, kind of change things a little bit on, on the recording there. Yeah, I've noticed that she does that on on uh, every album. She has a song that's a little bit uh, like left field for her, like that Troublemaker song. You know, I felt like it could have been on like a Sukeban TV show or something like a theme show, a theme song for like, a uh, yeah. Sukeban kind of thing. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And you know, in that same vein, she has uh, that uh, One Way Street, which was also kind of like almost like a like a hard edge song for her. So it's almost like a theme mm. for her to kind of. Uh, kind of do that every now and then kind of throw in a, 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 a like a tough song uh which is you know it speaks to her ability you know yeah i think uh you know i i think i think the, the maybe with mickey i think maybe she wanted to have her uh pat benatar moment i guess um <laughs> yeah. you know go a little go a little bit harder edged uh maybe a, maybe kind of delving a, li- a little bit into like harder rock for example so yeah. you know nope that's power to power to her oh for sure yeah. you know yeah I, I get a little janice joplin vibe on some of those mm. yeah she you know and juko hashi also credited janice joplin as one of her main influences but i would love to yeah. i would have yeah. loved to have uh heard it from mickey herself who her main influences were because uh, that mm. that would have been a, a very interesting discussion um uh, maybe maybe it's in one of the one of the interviews out there online. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. You we know. definitely have to. There's so much work to be done in, uh, in, in you know putting together her, her her past, and I think it's going to be done. Uh, you know, this is just the beginning for her relaunch. Um, so, also on this album, I really like Bay City Romance. I think it's one of my favorites mm. on there. Uh, I, I can't help but think of Junko Yagami's Tasogare Taso no Bay City. Um, and it's not, definitely not yeah. the same song, uh, but I feel like they could be cousins in a way. Like she really does a great job with this song. Yeah, it's really, it's really funky, and um, it's 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 quintessential um, Mickey Matsubara for me. I think there, I think there's something about um, now. I'm not sure if the, if the, I didn't really go into the lyrics of the of this song, but if this was actually referring to let's say Tokyo or or Yokohama. But uh, yeah, I think. I think with uh, Junko Yagami's uh, Tasugare uh, Bay, I think um, I think there was a, I think there was something about Yokohama that she wanted to get in there. I'm not sure if uh, Bay City Romance by uh, by Mickey was uh, was also kind of referring to uh, Yokohama as well. But it seems to be a very popular city when it comes to making uh, uh, pop songs, not just mm-hmm. city pop, but uh, other genres in in Japanese music as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. this album was. Uh, I mean, it's a great. I don't have this one on vinyl, but I, I do want it as well. I think it's 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 a great mm. one. I think it's a really good moment in her discography, and it really embodies. Uh, I think it really does embody her spirit. Um, and that leads us to um, review in 1983, uh, which I right. think is is a return to a more like classic Mickey kind of vibe. You think? Absolutely agree. In fact, uh, when I was uh, trying to jot down which songs I uh, really liked, I I put down every track. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, lo- I love the I love the entire album. I mean, what can I say? It's mm-hmm. like uh, basically, it's basically all of the you know all of all of the stuff that I love about Mickey Matsubara. Right. All the you know the disco and the jazz mm-hmm. and and the city pop. Everything's in there for pretty much every track here. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a pure winner. Definitely, uh, this is this is definitely reviews. Definitely uh, Matsubara at her peak. I think. Oh yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. There's some serious boppage on here. Every song is a bop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Moonlight right. Review, the first song. You know, it has kind of like it makes me. It gives me the visual of like a flapper in, in like 1920s. Yeah. It has yeah. that like really fun, loose vibe. You can tell uh, this album is a lot more carefree than the previous one. I feel like there's uh, probably a lot less 
pressure because I think this is around the end of her uh, contract with uh, Seesaw Records. So mm-hmm. it's probably mm-hmm. like, well, she's just gonna do what she what she likes, what she what she finds interesting, and and you can tell that she's having fun on a lot of these tracks. Um, mm-hmm. And her personality just really shines through on it. And like you said, every song is is good. There's a lot of catchy earworms. In everything, um, a lot of jingly kind of stuff. Uh, Sweet Surrender was a really good one. I wasn't expecting yep. that kind of s- song, but it was a uh, really danceable. Um, and I can't help but think of Hideki Saijo uh, with that name, Sweet Surrender, because he has, a, you know, he had. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, and again with the songwriters as well. I mean, you have Ken Sato back again helping out, Tetsuji Hayashi helping out uh, for Moon for uh, Moonlight Review uh, track one. You had uh, Kaname Nemoto uh, composing the song, mm-hmm. and he's the uh, vocalist for uh, uh, for the band. Uh, I think uh, Starlight. I think it was Stardust Review, oh, which yeah. is a great band for pop and oh, yeah. city pop. I think as well. Oh, for sure. So he was behind some of the composition there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, I mean, every song is great. Uh, I mean, some of my highlights were also track five, Okure uh, Kita Kukatsu, Delayed September mm-hmm. uh, by Ken Sato, which I re- really enjoyed. Kind of, you know, the, uh, I think it was kind of like the, the melody was very, um, uh, just kind of very introspective in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I, I don't think it was, it, it isn't a slow ballad by any means, but I just thought it was uh, just... Very interest, a very interesting uh, melody that I'd never heard associated with uh, with Mickey before. Yeah, the electric guitar on there is really interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it did, you know, in in a very small, weird way, it gave me a little bit of Pink Floyd. Wish you were here, just a tiny, tiny reminiscence of it. Uh, maybe it's just the electric guitar, uh, but I, but I did find that song uh, particularly satisfying. Uh, I do I like uh, track number four, Chandelier Mirage. I think that's oh, yeah. that's a really yeah. nice. I love the crescendo and you know it's just it's a that jazzy disco that she's really like known for. She's, yeah, that she can sing in her sleep basically. <laughs> right. It's like right. Yes, as as hard as that's imagined, but yeah. Yeah, you know. I mean she she did it so naturally, so fluently. Uh, she's just a, a natural born artist, and you know. I love that about her. It's track six, mm-hmm. Kanojo no Ichiban Suteki no Yoru. Her, be- yeah, her best song. Another highlight, yeah. That's a bop. Yeah. I love that. It had a, like a really old-timey jukebox kind of thing. Like, uh, I could see myself in Roppongi in 1979, just like, or 1983, just going crazy, you know, some bar with all these foreigners. <laughs> yeah, well, if, if, if you <laughs> want to go to a really crazy bar in Roppongi, I think... Uh, the the, uh, the bar you have to go to then is uh, Gas Panic. Mm. You have to go to the Gas Panic. Gas That's Panic. like, uh, well, the Gas Panic is uh, notorious because a lot of the uh, a lot of the Marines a lot of the Marines uh, go there or used to go there, and a lot of the people who love Marines go there as well. So it's <laughs> like a pickup joint basically. Oh wow! But yeah, that's kind of a, one of the more notorious uh, watering holes in Roppongi. Oh, look at that. You know, I didn't get a chance to go to Roppongi when I was in Tokyo last, but I definitely want to make a stop. And the reason why I didn't want to go is because a lot of people said that there were a lot of troublemakers, a lot of Western, you know, foreign troublemakers. So I'm like, oh, I'm so, why do I want that? You know, I have enough of that at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you just got to, you know, you got to kind of pick and choose, basically. But uh, I mean, you'll see a lot of touts on the main on the main street of Roppongi. A lot of these touts asking, oh, okay, yeah, come into our bar. I think those are the bars you have to be a little careful about. <laughs> yeah. That's where you know you start you you know you start wondering if your credit card's going to be able to handle it basically. Wow. So yeah, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, they still have like a lot of the safe places there too, such as I think they have a they have an outback steak restaurant, for example, or <laughs> wow, or or one of the uh, one of the famous uh, I think pizza franchises there too, or so. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah. There's so there's a mix of very exp- uh, very expensive uh, nightclubby type places, and then you know, places where basically uh, high school kids can uh, can go to as oh. well. Interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Uh, uh take some time and study where I'm going to go on there because I've heard some, you know, I've heard some some good and bad things about that area, but, you know, it is yeah, what it is. Yeah, um, yeah, it is what it is, basically. So, uh, the last one I want to mention on this album that I really did like is Casino Photographu, a wind photograph, because um, it right. reminds me of a little bit of Momoko Kikuchi's album Adventure. The synths, the synths oh. on that have a very similar vibe to it. So I, I, I'm not, you know, I, and I think it's around the same time. I think Momoko Kikuchi's mm. Adventures is from 1984 or 1983, but that yeah. that specific synth that they use on there uh, is very reminiscent of uh, Momoko Kikuchi's album Adventure. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, and no, and no surprise because uh, the compos- the composer for this was also uh, Tetsuji Hayashi, who ah. you know I think was helping out with. Uh, Momoko Kikuchi and also with Omega Tribe. Look at that. Uh, around the same time. So, yeah, there's a connection. There's yeah, a connection. Yeah, it's definitely there. Um, so, yeah, this this album, uh, you know, it, it's her sixth studio album. I think there's one compilation called Paradise Beach before uh, before this one. Mm. Uh, but this is yeah. her sixth one. And, um, I mean, it, it's, it's been an incredible adventure. I, I, I listened to the entire uh, six albums, you know, repeatedly for the past couple days and you know it, it just leaves you with this like experience that just like wow this this woman this incredible talent incredibly talented woman uh at such a young age was able to accomplish so much so quickly uh mm-hmm. it's 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 mind-boggling how she was able to do it and i have nothing but appreciation for seesaw records for for giving her the opportunity and seeing that talent and passion in her and you know her her own passion for music and jazz um it's it's incredible, and I think we're also lucky to have her music with us now. And I just, you know, I hope it just continues to grow from here, and she continues to get recognition. And people, you know, maybe in, in forty years time, uh, there'll be some new TikTok with videos of like Westerners and people from everywhere listening to, you know, stay with me or something, and reacting like those Japanese moms in that video. Mm-hmm. You never know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly, I certainly hope that uh, it doesn't. <clears throat> The uh, the love affair with Mickey Matsubara right now does not stop with uh, with Stay with Me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Stay with Me is her you know her probably her most her most recognizable song. But I think uh, there are a lot of plenty of song there are plenty of tracks from those six albums and beyond that as well. Oh yeah, uh, which are worthy which are worthy of listening to Definitely. also. Yeah, I think also uh, there was a there was another album she did which was more of a cover cover you know. A bunch of cover songs, I think, the jazz was, uh, one? called Blue Eyes. Mm-hmm. I think so. In 19, yeah, released in October 1984, called Blue Eyes. Ah, yes. And uh, she was doing a lot of uh, a lot of the old uh, jazz favorites, such as Love for Sale by Cole Porter and oh, um, yeah. uh, Wave by Antonio Carlos Jobim, who is like one of the pioneers of bossa nova. Oh wow! As well. so, yeah, and uh, she. I think we mentioned Carol King uh, earlier in the broadcast. Well, and she does uh, a cover of You've Got a Friend. So. Oh. Yeah, that could be another. That could be another interesting one for uh, for uh, Mickey Matsubara fans if they if they want to take a if they want to listen to her like actually do you know we always talked about her jazzy centered gear and mm-hmm. uh, this is, <clears throat> this is where she can uh, 
I guess she really got she really got into that jazz part of her. So. Oh yeah, I, I mean I love that. I I made a jazz compilation, a jazz mix, and this uh, I had a, a song of hers called Misty on there. It's my favorite song wow. off of Blue Eyes, uh, Misty, and you know it's all in English and. Um, it's it's such an amazing song. Like you could tell, she has that really smoky. Like you get that vibe. You're mm. that you're in some jazz club, uh, like 3 a.m. and there's just cigarette smell everywhere, and it's just a jazz singer on the stage. And it's it's a beautiful album. I I, I love Blue Eyes too. I think uh, it really did. Like you said, it touches on her roots of jazz music, and uh, I I feel like she was probably really happy with that album for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think. With when it comes to my image of Miki Matsubara, I think uh, she kind of personifies that, you know, kind of intimate jazz jazz club with the mm -hmm. with the typical prototypical brick <laughs> uh, brick background yeah. or so, and then the uh, and then that uh, Klieg light kind of focusing on her. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, another, I guess another singer that I like to kind of compare Miki Matsubara to is uh, there was the other city pop singer uh, from around the same time, Epo EPO. Oh yeah. Um, because uh, Mickey is like the night, you know, the intimate nightclub type person. Uh, Epo, I always kind of like likened her to the uh, uh, to that singer who is always at the top of the Waldorf Astoria doing the NBC, doing an NBC radio <laughs> show every Saturday night mm -hmm. because of her her bright kind of her more brighter brighter vocalization skills or so. Mm -hmm. um, very different in terms of very different in terms of uh, how they sang, but. There is that again. There is that sort of like a jazziness uh, mm -hmm. link between the two. Oh yeah, Epo had that cover. Uh, well, she it wasn't a cover, but it was like a variation of that Petunia Clark downtown song. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yes, that's <laughs> the uh, that that's I think uh, the one that's the cover of uh, Tatsuro Yamashita's uh, downtown when he was with Sugar Bay. Oh, yeah, so right. She, yeah, so she did, uh, she did the, the more city pop version and it's like, uh, Tatsuro's original was more of a kind of like, uh, just, you know, very kind of like honky, honky tonk rock type, huh. uh, type of, yeah. uh, type of version of her there. So, but yeah, both of them are great. I, I, I mean, I enjoyed both versions. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, anything they did back then, Sugar Babe especially, like, I, I want that on a vinyl. I think uh, the album was all songs. Mm. I still don't have it, but that's, that's on my bucket list of albums to buy, for sure. Mm. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I, we've had such a great discussion uh, regarding Mickey Matsubara. I think, you know, this is just the beginning. Uh, I think other people are definitely more interested in, in who she is as, a, as an artist, as a person. I think people are going to keep digging and finding more information and we're going to have a clearer picture you know of her in the future i, I don't think this is going to end here with us definitely not with anyone um you know japanese music everything you've been doing with your with your blog uh it, it, it's reverberating in the music world and you're seeing it you're seeing the influences um everywhere now you know that like you mentioned ginger root uh he just came mm -hmm. out with an lp or i think he's going to come out with an lp that's based on uh you know kind of a city pop kind of kyokyoku vibe a lot of the videos he does are kind of like grainy uh old-timey uh 70s mm. kind of looks to them so this is just the beginning and uh, I'm, I'm so excited for uh you know uh people today that they have access to these things because uh you know i'm sure you knew back then uh ten, even 10 years ago a lot of this stuff was if you didn't have it on vinyl or if you didn't have someone telling you to you know where it was or how to listen to it you wouldn't even know it existed but now it's on spotify you know it's on yeah. apple music it's 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 incredible how it's growing 
Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, I, again, going back to those comments, oh, I wish I was living in the 80s mm -hmm. or the or in the late 70s uh, where all this where all this music was first created. But, you know, I think it's I think it's also true that it was it's we're lucky we're kind of like living right now because we have all this access to music that was uh, created over many years throughout the 80s, you know, we're, but we can do it. We can literally download this or buy this now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can all we can get that. Whole, we can we can hear all of the all of Nicki Minaj's discography in one in one fell swoop. Right. Whereas back in the '80s, of course, we had to wait like you know, you know <laughs> a year by year type of thing. Right. So, I, you know, obviously, you know, I sympathize with people who kind of wish they were living back then. But you know, you can get all this stuff now. Mm -hmm. I have access to all this wonderful music by Maria and Miki and Tatsuro and Fujimaru and. It's all, you know, just do it through your computer, basically. Right. And you could just pretend that you're back then, you know, you can get in your pastel colored, uh, you know, suit and you could go out dancing, put on your red shoes and, you yeah, know, just pretend right. like you're in yeah. the 70s and 80s in Japan. You know, I think a lot of people are comfortable with, uh, you know, expressing this desire to uh, have a nostalgia for a different time and place. And I think it's... You know, I think it's perfectly fine if, if it makes people happy, if it brings uh, satisfaction and, you know, some kind of sense of enjoyment. I think, you know, more power to everyone who can find that because that, that's, world, mm -hmm. that's what we need. That's what the world needs more of. <laughs> and, I think as, and I think as well, I mean, you know, I think obviously, you know, people, especially with uh, some of the uh, attention brought during the Olympics or so, I think, you know, if you can, if you can get that ticket to uh, to Tokyo or to any other place in Japan, you know, by by all means do so. I think Tokyo is a is a wonderful city. It's a wonderful walking city as well. Uh, I just wouldn't advise people to go during the summer. Uh, <laughs> it's yes. extremely hot and humid, as a lot of, as some of the athletes will will of course attest to. Right. But uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, I lived I, I I lived there for 17 years. Enjoyed uh, enjoyed you know pretty much most of most of it over there, mm -hmm. and I'll be more than happy to uh, to uh, make another visit there uh, sometime very soon. Awesome, yeah, I I, I, I might meet you there because I'm planning on going once it back uh, opens back up. I'll definitely definitely be doing some shows over there. Um, so that brings us to the conclusion of this uh, episode. It's been an absolute pleasure to have Alan Ikasaka of Kaiokyoku Plus on here, and you can find. Uh, all of his writing, all of his articles on kaiokyoku. I'm sorry, kaiokyokuplus.blogspot.com, um, and I will link that in the description of this blog in case you want to pay him a visit and and read all of the amazing articles on there. He has so many cool contributors, uh, so many artists. If you if you're interested in kaiokyoku and new music, city pop, it's all on there. Um, you you'll have way more than you can possibly ever read in a. a ever uh but you should try definitely because it's all well written and there's so much good content on there alan was there anything you wanted to add no i think uh you pretty much said everything that that needed to be said but i just wanted to uh thank you very much again uh van for uh for inviting me today and talking about mickey matsubara and you know i also since uh i've yet to get all of her any of her uh, original albums this was a uh, an education for me on, uh, on on a lot of her songs and the, the styles that she was using during that time. Uh, also, thank you very much for all you have done for City Pop over the past several years or so. And uh, I'm really hoping that someday I might be able to actually attend one of your uh, City Pop parties or dances or so uh, in the near future. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I'm more than uh, hopeful that things will be improving, and uh, I definitely pay a visit to Toronto in the near future also. So, yeah, thanks again. It's, it's been so cool talking to you, and uh, I will probably have you on again in the near future. You never know. We have, there's just so much to talk about, and all these artists have such wonderful histories, and, and there's just so much to learn and, and, and so much to spread in terms of information regarding Japanese music from that era, and, and it's just... It's, gonna, it's just going to keep growing, and I'm so uh, happy for that. So with that, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, this was Alan Ikasaka of Kaiyukoku Plus. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you next time on Mayonaka Hour, and we'll leave you with the end theme by Mika Bridgebook. Take care and have a good night. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah.